This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. This week we're joined by Callum Jones from the Business Desk to ask if anyone can or should rescue BHS. A new Red Box reporter, Hannah McGrath, asks what is the point of celebrity endorsements in the referendum campaign? But first, Times columnist David Aronovich on why the doctor won't see you now. The BMA says the strike is the government's fault, and the government says it's the BMA's. As in the bad old days, the sides, and particularly the doctors, have become polarised beyond the reach of reason. From having been a question of how to staff hospitals properly at weekends, the dispute is now being framed as an existential one about the very future of the NHS itself. Of course, people like doctors more than politicians. This is the bully point which has always aided the BMA. But an all-out strike makes patients wonder whose side the doctors are on. That's not something doctors should take lightly. Now, David, we meet as the strike is going on. Two-day strike, emergency care being withdrawn for the first time. What impact do you think that will have on the assumption that people like doctors more than politicians? It's one of those situations whereby it won't show up immediately in the polling that you take of what people's attitudes towards the various sides in the dispute are. Uh, We're slightly addicted to the business of having a proposition going on at the moment. We put it to a poll and we say 80% support the doctors, 20% support the government, and that means that's an encouragement to the BMA to continue. Now, I'm presuming that they're more sophisticated than that and they'll understand that there is actually such a thing as making patients or patients families or people who use the NHS nervous and making them wonder whether or not doctors actually really care about them and after all that's their main selling point we like them because they take care of us if they don't take care of us if they have something else in mind then in that case we're not necessarily going to want to like them forever uh, Hannah what impact do you think that's having it, it, it could switch from the assumption that doctors number one priority is care to actually their number one priority is their pay packet. Yeah, that's right. I I think um, looking at junior doctors and and certainly ones that I've spoken to, they look at their pay deal at the moment, they look at their weekend working hours and they think, I'm not getting any overtime for this. And of course, not many people do get quite generous overtime at weekends um, when they work. So, you know, journalists, for example, uh, some of them. Oh, the humble Um, journalists, (laughs) toiling away (laughs) night and day. Yeah, um, and of course, you know, what's come 
uh, now I'm not sure that too many people will have read into the detail of this, but um, Jeremy Hunt is offering 13.5% in, in uh, rise in the base rate of pay. Um, and so you then got the question of, well, if they're all threatening to pack up and go to New Zealand, does that mean they actually want to care for us? And are they taking for granted the money that the, the government has invested in their training? Because, of course, in the UK, NHS training um, is funded by the government. In the US, for example, medical students have to pay for it themselves. Well, Callum, what about the, the flip side of the argument to this? They're actually people who've signed up, they've trained for an awful long time. They signed up for what they thought was one deal. And now the government's come along and said, actually, the deal's changing. Uh, it's it's a good point. I'd actually say there's the interesting argument that I would make is is a it's actually more of a balanced side. And I would I would argue that neither side has necessarily covered themselves in glory <laughs> during this debate. There's a lot of overgeneralisation and not necessarily outright fibbing or lying, but there's certainly been a lot of muddying of the waters by both sides. The government trying to say that it's been generous, it's made made concessions. The BMA sort of saying, well, what we're being asked to do would actually put patients patients at patients at risk, which. Are, and I think there's a, this is a very emotive debate, and, but both sides would probably get a lot of credit if they were a little bit more forthright. David, Jeremy Hunt has said that being health secretary is going to be his last big job in politics. I'm not sure whether he's decided that or, or, <laughs> or just that, 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 is, that is going to be the case. But um, how does he get out of this? How does, how, how does this not turn into never-ending well, I'd, put, I, I'd actually put it uh, to both sides. How do either side of this mm. get out of it? I mean, in fact, uh, the only way that Jeremy Hunt can get out of it is by giving in. Yeah. Uh, by saying, OK, we're not going to have this kind of new contract, we're not going to do this and so on, and we're going to try and work our improved pattern of care for patients, of which this is only actually a re- weekends, of which this is actually only a, a relatively minor point, without actually having having done it. That would mean effectively that for the next 10 years, no government will be able to do anything that doctors said that they didn't like. Yeah. Well, that was how it would, would feel. But for the doctors, there's an equal kind of a problem. And they actually have a bigger problem because I don't think they can see it. And, when, and, and, and this actually, I think, was the government has a very, very acute perception of the trouble that it's in. I don't think the doctors have any perception of the trouble they're in at all because they're off on one, basically. This is what happens when you get involved in a great, great big kind of struggle. All your friends think the same thing. People poop their horns at you in support as you kind of go past. You become a bit more like a kind of football crowd in, in the sense of your loyalty and your... And, and, uh, and Twitter and Facebook becomes a sort of virtual pooping of horns. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, they certainly and, do. Virtual pooping of the, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it becomes, you know, it becomes both an echo chamber of stuff which might not entirely be factually accurate, but sort of whips up this, you know, and people feel obliged to put on Facebook how much they love the doctors and, of course. and how, you know, Jeremy Hunt must be strung up from the next lamppost. And that sort of all fuels this well, idea no, you, that they're on the side of the righteous. I mean, you do have the situation whereby you have serious BMA figures making speech saying that Jeremy Hunt is psychotic. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of somebody who was for a very brief period psychotic uh, in hospitals it happens I can tell you that Jeremy Hunt is not psychotic or even anything remotely like it and, and a kind of doctor should know better than using these even as kind of, uh, yeah. if you like as yeah. kind of figures of speech really so what worries me about it is that once you've kind of embarked so far upon a kind of path of self-righteousness it becomes incredibly difficult for you then to have any kind of compromise to end the situation because you've always got somebody oh, off to your off to your saying but you said that we would bite till the very end and now you're not fighting them until the very end and so on. It becomes really awkward. 
But I think the question here is, where is the very end? The BMA have as yet not really said, apart from backing down and making the concession on not making this contract compulsory, um, what, what they really want the outcome to be. And that's the problem. We don't have end, uh, an end goal for the BMA and therefore we're in a complete stalemate. On Jeremy Hunt, I was I was very interested to hear him suggest that uh, this would be his last major major role in in frontline politics. And I'm interested. I don't know. Obviously, we have no idea, as you say, whether he's decided this or whether he's been told this in no uncertain terms. But if you if you think back three years, I think it was about or even four years now to 2012 and that summer when when we had the Olympics and we were expecting this first major Cameron reshuffle, people were expecting Jeremy Hunt to be demoted from culture secretary, and then. Lo and behold, he actually got this quite significant promotion, which he's been which, in for years. Which is years supposed on. to take all the political heat out of the NHS, <laughs> I seem to remember, after Andrew Lansley's hugely popular <laughs> top-down reorganisation. It, it, very good point. But my, broadly, I, w- I would just say... There was don't... a time when he was talked about as a future leader. That's yeah. a... Not by me. Because by and large, people saw Jeremy Hunt as being a rather charming l- lightweight. And so, on. And one of the things that's very difficult, and I think Patton, General Patton once said it, is you can go into a new job being a bastard and show that you're nice eventually, but you can't do it the other way around. You can't go in being all nicey-nicey and show that in the end that you've got to be a bastard. <laughs> Almost all reforming health secretaries are going to come up against stiff resistance Mm. which is going to be bloody Uh, and so you have to be incredibly uh, tough for it. Actually I'm not totally sure he isn't quite internally tough really because I think somebody else might very well have gone back to David Cameron by now saying you know this really isn't going to run let's try and find a way out some time ago and he's he's really he's really said to himself I can't get this big thing I want doing on weekend hours without this contract somewhere in it uh, and consequently I'm just going to see it through. And my point in raising the 2012 example of his last job shift was don't don't necessarily write him off. Yes, he's in quite quite having quite quite a tricky time of it at the moment. He was four years ago, and then he found himself in in higher office. I think actually one of the things is is that to move up from health secretary is it, it means one of the the big officers of state, and there's quite a lot of people in the queue for those. If you you know the boyish Michael Gove might have to be found a big job. When I mean, who knows if if there's a leave vote in the referendum, which we'll come on to in a minute, then. Uh, <laughs> All bets are off. But let's uh, leave it there. Before we move on to the next thing, I just want to, uh, just a quick reminder about our podcast special, the Ask the Expert. Lots of people have already sent in questions that we'll put to a panel of Westminster's finest. So any questions you've got about politics, how it works, the personalities, what goes on behind the scenes, email your questions to redbox at thetimes.co.uk or tweet us at timesredbox with the hashtag redboxexperts. But now, Callum, you want to talk to us about BHS. Yes, I do. Now, having come under quite heavy fire for its something somewhat confused response in the days after Tartar Steel's decision to leave the UK, the government seemed to pick up its game in the hours after BHS collapsed into administration this week. Now, as the EU referendum debate twists and turns each day, ministers cannot afford to take their eyes off the ball here. They need to look like they're in control, even if in reality there's very little they can do. So I suppose my first question, Callum, is should the government do anything? BHS has been for as long as I can remember a place that you wouldn't buy anything in. Mm. So if they're not selling things that I want to buy, why should I be bothered if it goes out of business? I think the fact that it employs about 11,000 people is is one reason. I mean, it's very hard to sit here and we're we're recording this on on Tuesday. It's a very early point in the week, less than 24 hours after they officially filed for administration. It's very hard to actually say what the government might be 
required to do, no doubt there'll be it will face all sorts you of can't, rules the government from every can't direction. Part nationalise BHS and, and no, no, start no. start just buying jumpers that nobody wants but just you... because that some, <laughs> to give people jobs folding them up in but, shops. I mean, you can guarantee there will be people who call on it to do that. I'm not. <laughs> maybe saying... Jeremy Corbyn. Maybe that's Jeremy Corbyn's next move. <laughs> well, we'll wait and see. Well, no doubt there'll be calls made to the Labour Party to see what its stance on this is. I think. All it really needs to do now is to is to look like it's on top of the situation. Obviously, this is going to affect a large number of people. Now, while that sounds very simple, Cast reminds back a few weeks to what happened with Tartar, and there were thousands of jobs on the line. The business secretary was in Australia. The chancellor, I think I'm right in saying, was in France. The prime minister was in holiday in the Canary Islands, and the government was accused of this quite shambolic response. Now, in contrast, yesterday, within, within hours, you had Anna Soubry on her feet in the the Commons responding with a short statement in reaction. I think the government's almost slightly, dare I say it, learning the lessons from uh, the row over competence just a few weeks ago. David, when was the last time you bought something in BHS? Um, I'm not sure that I can quite remember what BHS <laughs> is. Uh, th- 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 actually, uh, Callum raised a very interesting point, but it's all completely barking. Really. <laughs> I mean, um, firstly, the thing about Tatar Steel is it's emblematic. Uh, it's emblematic of Britain's industrial and, ma- and, ma- and manufacturing past, and also it's very localised. So it's what gives employment to... BHS is a, not a significant employer in any one constituency or, or city really not in any, in any case it's, it's, it's diffuse the second thing is that those jobs are going to other people working for other stores somewhere else it's mm. not as if they've stopped selling now quite, quite a lot of that will be internet buying and so on uh, and we could make the argument to people that they really ought to be stopped from buying things on the internet and they ought to be forced to go into the store It'd be a kind of thing you know you can all you can do on the internet is you can show an interest but you must actually be could forced to go along your for that, the, BHS, the BHS bill perhaps. the BHS bill whereby they go along Short of that, there is absolutely nothing you can do. The issue will turn, not on that, therefore, but on the uh, liability of the people who sold the Philip Green and sold the company for a quid to the to the liabilities of the pension fund. And that's one thing that actually links both the Tata Steel problem and BHS. Is the responsibility, is the responsibility of outgoing is the responsibility and, 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 of outgoing owners yeah. and, and, and how the state picks up pension liabilities. But the pension liability point was precisely to try and cushion people against the effects of uh, natural results of capitalist competition. Companies go, come up and as a result companies go down. But you have to somehow or other cushion the effect upon people and that's what the pension liability thing does. That's the way we do it. We do it that's the way we do it for Tata, that's the way in which we do it for BHS. And I think you're right about the pressure on the government. The government actually only really needs to look competent. That's all it needs to do. It needs to make sure that it looks like it's on top of the situation, which doesn't sound very hard, but as it proved a few weeks ago, and this was the, the broad point I was making, it, it can actually <laughs> they run can into make, trouble. They can make it look quite... <laughs> they can look, make just issuing a sympathetic statement look and, uh, like the most complicated thing in the world. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if, if you look at what Anna Subri said in the Commons yesterday, yesterday, we were recording this on Tuesday, so it was Monday evening, she didn't actually say very much, but the fact that they, they, they were seen to be responding, they were seen to be monitoring the situation, I think even the tiniest step like that, which, you'd, which for most people would seem like a given, can go quite a long way. Hannah, are you a, a BHS shopper? I wish I could say I was. Um, I don't think... I, I cannot recall having bought anything in BHS in my lifetime, and I think that that is sort of um, emblematic in a way. I think young, young people don't tend to go and buy their stuff at BHS. Actually, the interesting thing is when Woolworths went under, there was a sort of national outpouring. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. For but Woolworths was gigantic. It was. I mean, Woolworths, yeah. Woolworths has had been a high street institution, almost every high street in Britain. It would be a bit like McDonald's and Starbucks both going under in the same way. Well, if Jeremy like Corbyn gets his way, that's the way we're going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I live in one of the few high streets where in the last few, last few weeks, the McDonald's, the Starbucks... <laughs> and the body shop have closed. Um, this is kind of, is absolutely extraordinary. And I can tell you that although the people who don't like chains are feeling very happy, everyone else is feeling bereft. <laughs> <laughs> Where will you go for your breakfast now? Well, exactly. <laughs> Le pain quotidien, this being Hampstead. Mm. Well, let's hope they're listening and uh, they, can, they can get in touch with us. On the sort of um, the wider point of government competence, Callum, mm. um, they, they, they do seem to have been sort of caught on the hop with lots of, I mean, Tata still was was one of them. But they do seem to have... There is this argument with the EU referendum coming that they, their eye just isn't on the ball, on the day-to-day, run-of-the-mill stuff that they should be Of course, doing. of course, yeah. And, I mean, we're, we're now sitting here, I think I'm right in saying, forgive me, um, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been out of Westminster, we're, a cut, we're less than a fortnight away from another electoral test, aren't we, the local election. Yeah. So they really can't afford to mess this kind of thing up. And it's just basic. It's just the, the, the basic run-of-the-mill actions giving a statement when something like this happens making sure you look like you're on the ball which as i've said a few times already sounds sounds quite easy <laughs> but <laughs> as it would as it would turn out is actually rather hard so let's because we can't ever get through a podcast without talking about the referendum <laughs> hannah let's talk about so let's try and bring a bit of showbiz to the referendum a bit of pizzazz so uh, celebrity endorsements are the holy grail of the advertising world so why are they falling so flat for the rival eu referendum campaigns with the exception of barack obama's ringing endorsement for remain last week does anyone outside westminster actually know what celebs like ian botham or june sarpong think of eu membership and more importantly does anybody actually care so hannah Talk us through who you think 
uh, the celebrities are that would make a difference in this uh, in this campaign. Right. So we we have a dwindling number of national treasures. Um, unfortunately, over the, the past few weeks, we've lost <laughs> many of them. Um, however, uh, I think it was Emma Tucker who said uh, a couple of weeks back on this podcast um, that uh, David Attenborough would yes. be would be a very good contribution. And I think actually um, his contribution could be really good in that we could have a sort of uh, narration from David of what's going on in the EU referendum and how they're behaving. The Tory big beasts as yes, they tear each other apart. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I also think that the David Beckham factor shouldn't be uh, underestimated. I think that people want to know what Bex thinks about uh, European Union um, membership. And I think also David uh, Michael Gove sorry, managed to bring this into his speech last week. Um, you know, footballers could potentially be compromised. Their contracts could be compromised if we leave the EU, apparently. Now, at the weekend, the Times did an incredible spread of who's for in, who's for out, and whether or not they were a positive or negative, uh, had a no- positive or negative effect on the campaigns. Yeah, that was Daniel Finkelstein's work, and um, and it, some interesting ones here. So um, everyone was shocked and surprised when Jeremy Clarkson came out for in, um, and uh, and and I think that's mainly because we expect a lot of the people who I would refer to as grumps um, tend to be on the Brexit side or tend to be the most vocal um, Brexit campaigners. It also has the element of surprise, which, um, without being too rude, Eddie Izzard campaigning for Remain. Yeah, did not. Doesn't. And and that's the thing, you know, how much cut through do these celebrities actually get? We're used to Emma Thompson holding forth on things. We're used to um, Eddie Izzard, uh, you know, running marathons whilst campaigning for uh, God knows what political campaign. And so what we have here is this very stark division between um, industry leaders who are all making very sensible cases, I think, um, or, or lots of them are, um, for both the in and the out campaign. You've got uh, Helen Morrissey, uh, for example, um, um, who's a, a leading businesswoman for making a very sensible, rational case for the out campaign, and I, and I think equally on on the inside you have you know lots of big beasts from from business, but also huge multinational organisations. I think what we're seeing here is that as as you wrote last week, the vote leave campaign is looking increasingly friendless. They've got Ian Botham. They have. Well, you know, what was extraordinary when I wrote the piece for the paper at the weekend? I spoke to people in both campaigns. And I said I, I said to them both, if you could draw. If politics and logistics were no obstacle, who would you who would you love to have? And someone I spoke to the main campaign said David Beckham, mm. extraordinarily famous, loved for you know by all ages, uh, and we could reach parts of the electorate that other politicians couldn't reach. And then somebody from the Leave campaign genuinely tried to convince me that Ian Botham was the person at the top of their <laughs> list, and they were delighted to have got him and Sol Campbell on board, <laughs> as if that was going to move move the markets at all. David, have you have you ever been persuaded to change your mind on anything by a celebrity? No, I mean, it, it, it is, it's sort of, the thing is to, to remember is that celebrities are not people who everybody loves. Mm. They're people who a lot of people love. They're also people who a lot of other people can't stand. <laughs> there are also as many people who can't stand Ian Bleeden Botham as who like Ian Botham yeah. and so on, probably. Uh, for instance, all the Scots and Welsh, etc., who never supported England during the cricket team. And then a lot of people who kind of remember him in his sort of later, later existence don't particularly like him. The thing is, you look for people who can give a bit of authority to the view that you're looking for, who, who you can sort of lay some kind of trust in. That doesn't necessarily go along with celebrity. It goes along with a particular kind of character which you would tend to be to, to be open to. It's one of the reasons why I do think that in the end the Obama endorsement of staying in will be seen to be an important moment in the campaign because yeah. when it actually comes to the vote 
and we then look at the reasons why people voted the way they did, I think the idea of the desire to be linked up to our allies and the views of our allies and so on to be part of a bigger thing will be seen to be quite an important part of it when the result finally comes in. I, I happen to think that I'm, I'm fascinated by seeing who the who the celebrities are that uh, the campaigns have invited into to really run the show, if you like, because I think it sort of demonstrates the sort of voters that they're trying to get to. Mm. Now, this isn't a, <laughs> this isn't a, a, a phrase I thought I'd find myself using on the podcast, but with the greatest of respects to June Sarpong, <laughs> I don't necessarily think. Well, I'm sure she listens. I, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she's she, a I'm sure she does. I, d- I don't necessarily think that she'll she'll achieve the sort of the sort of aim of the in campaign that they had when they necessarily brought her on. I think she's on the board, I think I'm right in yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, um, she, She's a loose woman, she, which she, is not she a slur. Is, but she, <laughs> is, uh, she appears on the popular ITV programme. It, it was suggested when, when she first came on board or when they first unveiled her as their big one of their big star signings that this would this would help them woo the youth vote. Now, I'm not aware of June Sarpong having been on youth television for about 15, 16 no, years. The, youth, the, the old youth, youth vote. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the old youth vote they're after. Yes, it's people who still think they're young. They're yeah. actually in their th- which... A very Late 30s, early 40s, who used to watch T4. That's what that's uh, doing. I mean, I think actually, the, in a way, individual endorsements probably don't mean anything. Mm. But the the big, the wider problem, I think, that uh, the Leave campaign have is when the uh, Remain campaign lists everyone from Barack Obama, the IMF, the OECD, the IFS, the Treasury, uh, almost every world leader, every economic body you can think of, and hedgehogs. Yes. Mm. You, you, you put all of them on one side and then... When pressed, Leave can't come up with that same... Actually, it's not about the celebrities, but the sort of economic, serious thinking people. They just don't have that sort of backup. I think Mervyn King is the is the sort of the one that they reach for all the time, the former governor of the Bank yeah, of England. Yeah, and, and a notable thing about the, the Vote Leave um, endorsements is that they all tend to have former in front of their names. So we've got this impression of a, uh, a campaign which is a bit long in the tooth. You know, we've got lots of quite dynamic, you know, very, very high profile people on the in campaign. On the out campaign, we've got Lamont. We, you know, we have people who actually uh, are a bit of a, a, a sort of blast from the past. I think we should also look at you know the aversion factor, uh, which I kind of hinted at. I mean, one of the things I've seriously thought about doing, because uh, I'm a columnist, I'm allowed to have an opinion, and I'm strongly in favour of staying in the EU, uh, was I was thinking of having that picture of George Galloway and Nigel Farage at, well, at the big uh, Britain <laughs> out thing, made into a posters, as opposed to for my window and other, and saying, therefore out... What about you? Yeah. And then I'm going to have a T-shirt. And I'm seriously going to have that T-shirt made and sweatshirt. I'm going to walk around in it and so on. Because if that doesn't convince a kind of average person who has any idea who these people are uh, to, to vote the other there way... Is such a thing, no, there, there is no, such a thing as a bad well. endorsement. Yeah, mal-endorsement. Yes. Yeah. It's a very good point. Uh, I, but while still in the lobby a few months ago, I, w- I will never forget that rally on the Friday evening for, for, for Go. It was just as, a, just as the referendum campaign was, was fully officially starting... And there were that Galloway came on right at the end, and so far so good. Before that very moment, uh, people were having a great time. The, the supporters were really getting into it. He came on stage, and there were there were dozens of people who streamed out the room. And you sort of think if you're if you're preaching to the converted, and you make even them storm out of the room, that cannot have been a good move. Well, there's an interesting battle going on at the moment because the the Leave campaign don't want Marie Le Pen to come to London mm. to campaign for Brexit. That's right. But even, she's coming anyway. Even mm. Farage said that probably wouldn't be very helpful. Yeah. So if you've even got Nigel yeah, Farage... Is, isn't he blaming freedom of movement in the EU? <laughs> <laughs> well, suddenly, yeah, suddenly they want, yeah, they want to ban everyone uh, from uh, moving around. I mean, you want, you want, I mean, I was sort of thinking about who, who would be the worst person. 
I think something like Abu Qatar. Abu Qatar, yeah. yeah. I, Robert I, Mugabe. Yeah, ISIS. I think if ISIS, ISIS did a if sort ISIS of came a, out one an ISIS-style video, and and you know they they have one of their leaders saying, you know, we back Brexit. I think I think that would be that would be the, the nail in the coffin. But I think if you if you want just a couple of absolute superstars who have declared themselves formally, um, we've got we've got for example uh, Sandy Shaw who uh, who is backing Remain. Uh, for those of you that don't know who uh, Miss Shaw is. And she was. And so, you know, who doesn't want the barefoot pop princess of the 1960s on their side? But in fact, even um, even Britain's place in Eurovision has been discussed as to whether or not it would be threatened by Brexit. But given that Australia was allowed in, mm. I don't you know, think... I very nearly broke into song there. <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> I think that's, that's a podcast um, special all of its own. <laughs> Next week. Uh, and one of it sings Eurovision. <laughs> and, and I think a couple, a couple of others. I mean, we we all want to know what the monster raving loony party thinks about it. Well, they're they're officially neutral. Actually, they are uh, both for in, out, and shake it all about. Very good. And um, <laughs> and people who I'd like to know about. I think perhaps th- there's some family, there's some sort of family uh, issues going on as well. Um, George Osborne's aunt and uncle have recently. I saw come that. Up, I did think that was starting to get a bit desperate. Brexit. Yes. Knocking up. I, I mean, I would. I mean, much as I love my aunties and uncles to be, I wouldn't necessarily want to be held accountable for their views. Not, I don't no, think. People have got dug into, really, or maybe they haven't, I missed it. Maybe I've missed quite a lot, really. Maybe I've missed quite a lot of it on purpose. But uh, the Boris versus the other Johnson. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a kind of really interesting yeah, yeah. thing. And you'd love a kind of a complete table of Johnsons, wouldn't you? Alan Johnson, <laughs> Boris Johnson, Joe Johnson, etc. Just having a kind of the Johnsons. Uh, I'd like to hear what Rachel has to say. because Well, we'll uh, I'll tell you what, it's a promise. We will do the, the, the table Johnsons. of the complete Johnsons on Red Fox. <laughs> now, uh, before we wind up, I can't let you go without playing the hugely popular uh, Red Box sweepstake. Each week, we ask the panel to predict the share of the vote which you think Remain will get to correct to two decimal places. Now, the average has been nudging up. It's gone over 50... Two decimal places? You allow two decimal places? Well, because then we can decide... Two who... decimal places? So you can have so you can have 52.64. No, I know what two decimal oh. places means. It's just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <We don't... laughs> anyway... <laughs> We're not having a referendum on whether or not these are the rules of the Swedish state. <laughs> so, the average so far is about 54%, although uh, people who've emailed in their guesses are um, less optimistic. They think about 51 while our podcast panellists have been well over 56. So, Hannah, let's start with you. What do you think? Well, given that I'm allowed two decimal places, I'm going to say 58.72. 58.72. Callum? 56.72. Three, four. You don't have to use them, David. <laughs> they, they are they're, they're available to you if you want to use them. Uh, okay. Um, 57.41. Very good. Uh, and as ever, you can enter your guesses by emailing us redbox at thetimes.co.uk or you can uh, post them on Twitter using the hashtag redboxsweepstake. Uh, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, do log on to the Redbox website, thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox, where you can find lots of things, including that complete table of Johnsons. Uh, do get in touch about the uh, Ask the Experts as well, redbox at thetimes.co.uk. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or on your Android device. And you can sign up to receive my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox forward slash sign up. But for now, from David, Hannah, Callum and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.